hardest decision that that any of us made in um, you know in in 99 years of the existence of CIAC there's there's been very few interruptions to the sports seasons and to uh, the manner in which we conduct our tournaments in, including through world wars you know so so making the decision to, to end that what was incredibly difficult for us to do because we knew we were bringing to a conclusion some students playing careers and and we were doing that without the traditional end to that season or normal closure that that kids are, are used to and, and that was certainly going to draw an emotional response. Hello Falcon fans and welcome to another episode of In the Bleachers podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to sports here at Xavier High School with athletic news and updates from around Connecticut. Get ready to join Matt Dan, Greg, and Tanner for your weekly dose of sports news, as well as tips, tools, and strategies to help you become a success in the classroom, in sports, and in life. Today is June 2nd, and we are happy to bring you episode number one of In the Bleachers. On this week's episode, we give you the background on how this quarantine idea morphed into something so big, it's going to take the efforts of four to provide you quality content that keeps you coming back for more. We are also grateful to bring you our first special guest, the CIAC Executive Director, Glenn Lungarini. Glenn is joining us to discuss the impact COVID-19 has had on high school athletes in Connecticut and how coaches and athletes have had to respond during a time of uncertainty. Coming to you for the first time ever is our very own game show, Win, Lose, or Draw. This episode's topic is centered around Tiger Woods and Michael Jordan, two athletes who were the best in their respective sports, but Dan, Greg, and Tanner have to decide who they would pick in a clutch situation. And finally, wrapping up with our words of wisdom segment is Xavier Hockey single season leader in points, former Xavier Hockey coach and assistant athletic director, Dan DeConti. Enjoy the show. This episode is brought to you by Oakleaf Marino, located three and a half miles from the mouth of the beautiful Connecticut River and Old Saybrook. Convenient to Long Island Sound with easy access from I-95 and Route 9. Oakleaf Marina, a full-service year-round boatyard providing a comprehensive program of services to ensure an enjoyable boating season. Oakleaf Marina, Old Saybrook, Connecticut. All right, guys, welcome back. Thanks for joining us. Uh, special thanks to Scott Massey for his wonderful introduction for us. And for those who don't know Scott, Scott obviously is a great voice for the radio, and he's done a fantastic job announcing all of our football games and baseball games at Xavier High School and obviously at Palmer Field. But as we move into tonight's episode, I wanted to obviously introduce all of the, the co-hosts that we have here with us. So I'm going to start us off with uh, Dan DeConti. Hey, guys. Dan DeConti, graduated from Xavier in 2001. I've been a math teacher at the school for 13 years. I've also coached hockey for 10 or 12 years, and um, I'm currently the assistant athletic director. And I am Greg Jascott, 2000 graduate from Xavier High School. I was in the classroom. I taught Spanish for about 13 and a half years, currently the Associate Director of Advancement, uh, and I am the Offensive Coordinator in the football program. Uh, this will be year 16 coming up for me. What's up, guys? It's Tanner Kern. I'm a 2015 graduate of Xavier High School. I played football there. was coaching at Xavier the past two seasons, but I'm currently in grad school, so Taking a little break from coaching now, but excited to be on the podcast. Thanks again for joining us again. My name is Matt Martorelli, the athletic director at Xavier High School. Tanner actually, he's very modest. He, he did not tell you guys this, but he actually started his own podcast. What do you say, about a, uh, about a month and a half ago, two months ago, Tanner? Yeah, but for sure 14 that, episodes in. 
I'm sure the planning of it obviously went a lot longer than that. But um, maybe you can tell all of our listeners exactly how this podcast in the bleachers uh, came to fruition. I know a conversation between you and Greg, but obviously that's between us. Maybe you want to let everybody else know why we're here and, and how this all came to be. Yeah, so I started my own podcast and I was really enjoying that. And I was talking to Greg and we decided to do a Connecticut high school football podcast. And we didn't really know what we wanted to do, but we just wanted to start a podcast. So it kind of evolved into something a little bigger. I'm going to let Greg take it from here. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Tanner and I clearly like talking football and we like talking football in the state of Connecticut. And I uh, kind of brought the idea to Matt um, and it kind of evolved into a lot more and we hope that we can cover you know all things Xavier High School sports you know sports around the state uh, and also get into some deeper topics uh, you know like leadership and you know preparation for your for your sports and whatnot and it's hopefully going to tie nicely into our new Xavier Athletics website that I'm going to let Matt talk a little bit about so what started as kind of a small idea is we're hoping turned into something that's going to be great for the high school. Greg, thanks. I got a phone call. This is obviously, I think, week two of quarantine, and Greg was asking or talking about, uh, you know, starting a podcast. And then, in the back of my mind, it clicked off that we're in the process of starting a new website, XavierFalcons.com. That'll be launched on August fifth. That I'm really, really excited about. But with that, obviously, comes the ability to to actually host a podcast. And the the thought process then was, and Dan and I actually had these conversations earlier in the year about eventually getting to the point where we could have a podcast. The stars started kind of aligning and having a podcast that talked just about football is fantastic. But when we can actually try to incorporate the whole Xavier community into a podcast really is exciting. And what better time to actually launch one than when we're actually starting our own website. So that's kind of how we're getting into this right now. All right, Dan, I know, uh, I know you yourself as a person, you love to listen to podcasts, you know, really that self-help motivational uh, talks. What excites you about, uh, about this journey, this in the bleachers journey that we're about to get into? Well, I think that the thing that excites me the most is, um, you know, the, the fact that it, it relates to uh, a school that I have such a strong connection to. And so um, when, when you and Greg came to me with the idea of, of doing a, a Savior podcast plus, um, you know, I couldn't wait for the opportunity. I, I had done uh, one with Empower Leadership where I had talked with, with Dan Jaskot a little bit about, about leadership through his podcast. And um, I just had such a great time doing that. And that when, when you guys presented this one, I couldn't wait to be a part of one of our own. Yeah, it certainly is exciting. You know, and you, you say that part too, that school that you have such a, a strong connection to. And obviously the sport that you had the strongest connection to being ice hockey it wasn't just two months ago, which is actually going to segue into our, our, our guest speaker, but it was what, just over two months ago, we had that infamous day, March 10th. Can you talk me through that day? I know I was right there beside you, but did any of us think this was actually going to happen like this? I can tell you that or before March 10th, you know, maybe that Sunday, I had thought that things were going to get canceled. But then uh, when those, those Division three games went off on Monday, and everybody played on Monday, I kind of thought, okay, we're, we're going to see this thing through. And so, I mean, as you know, uh, we had basketball and hockey going, and uh, we, we were making our preparations. We had some guidance from the CIAC about uh, wiping down surfaces and making sure things were clean. So uh, we had taken care of the gym and made sure that the gym was cleaned and disinfected. Um, we had come up with some plans to block off some areas of the school to limit um, – 
contact and exposure to where people could go. And we were getting ready to head over to Wesleyan uh, to take care of Wesleyan when we got the message that, you know, winter sports were going to end right where they were. You know, and I think it's, you know, for me, from my standpoint, I, I was, you know, I didn't feel that same way on Sunday. You know, I, I didn't think that it was um, going to affect our area as strongly as, I, as it did. And for those who are, you know, might have been in a bubble for the last few months, we're talking about, you know, coronavirus and COVID-19 and specifically the impact that it had on, on high school athletes. And, and that day, you know, Dan and I, amongst a couple others, uh, had to call down all the teams that were still competing in the, the winter sports season and tell them that their seasons were over immediately. And the look on their face was devastating. As an adult, someone who, you know, specifically works in a school and enjoys working with kids, we never want to create those moments where they're in tears and, you know, very emotional. But that was one that was, was very difficult. I know from, a, from a, an adult standpoint, it was a difficult day for me and one that I don't think I'll ever forget. Yeah, it was, um, you know, it was very tough to deliver that message to the kids. But, you know, I, I mean, I, I think of, of some of the adult coaches we had in the building and, and you know, um, one of our adult coaches who also happened to coach his son, who was a senior, um, you know, had one more opportunity to, to coach his son again. At least one more opportunity. We were going to make a run in, the, in that tournament, Dan. And, you know, to, to, to have that moment uh, ripped away. You know, and so we, we had some emotional adults as well when they found out that the season was going to be over at that point. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, the Coach Coe's one was, was definitely one that, you know, was difficult for me to swallow anyways because I was watching it, you know, in front of my, my eyes. Uh, but, you know, for those people who don't know Xavier, it's such a special place and the community so strong. You know, it's no, it's no surprise that we've been able to rebound so well and really come out on the, on the you know, the high point on this one. Uh, in just a few minutes, we're going to be uh, inviting our first guest of uh, in the bleachers, and we're very fortunate. Obviously, we've been talking a lot about uh, coronavirus and COVID nineteen. Uh, we're very fortunate to have uh, the CIEC executive director, Glenn Lungarini. And Glenn, I, I bet Dan, I bet he he remembers that day more than you and I. He was, probably couldn't fall asleep the night before knowing uh, what was about to to come to his plate that day. But uh, we're super excited to have him here. Um, and, uh, and see what he has to say. We have a couple questions lined up. So uh, continue uh, to uh, enjoy the show. Thank you. Welcome back, everyone. I'm excited to bring to you our first ever guest on In the Bleachers. Today, we invite the CIC Executive Director, Glenn Lungarini. He's joining us. He's in-house with us today. This is all done through Zoom. No one's in-house. We're practicing good social distancing here. But Glenn, welcome to the show. Thank you for the invitation. I appreciate any opportunity that, that we can get to talk to our students and uh, the parents around the state of Connecticut. So thank you for this opportunity. Oh, thank you. I know a lot of people, when they hear your, your title, might question, what exactly is the, the job of the executive director like at the CIAC? So you want to give us a little bit of an insight on what your, what your job is, what your title includes, and then obviously what a normal day is like? Uh, thank you for that question. The uh, you know, I think people forget sometimes, too, that we're part of a bigger organization. So the Connecticut Association of Schools is the parent organization, and the CIEC uh, is part of that parent organization. So not only do we deal with the athletic end of 
interscholastic athletics and governing that through the state of Connecticut, but uh, also on the Connecticut Association of School Sides, we're, we're very heavily involved in the academic aspect. We work with our member school principals, assistant principals, teachers as well, and providing professional development for them. We have numerous student groups that we work with that do projects for the State Board of Education. We engage in other extracurricular activities like speech, debates, and and really try to find ways that we can provide exceptional experiences for students in in a variety of of different environments and, and student interests. You know, so from my standpoint and becoming an executive director at the, you know, the thing that changed the most from uh, leaving a building level administration to coming here is just how much I miss kids and, and same thing in coaching. You know, it's, I think you see that when people leave coaching and become administrators, they, they miss that close contact with the kids, even though you see them every day. Becoming the executive director and not being in the building, it's that time with, with kids on a daily basis that I really miss the most. But the other shift that I think is, you know, is important and really drew me to this is as an administrator, as a coach, as a teacher, you're often in a position where it's your responsibility to implement policy that's created through the State Department of Education or legislature. I have the opportunity now in my position to argue for what that policy should be in the actual creation of it to have even a more significant impact over students and their experiences in Connecticut. Glenn, thank you for that detailed description of what your daily life is like. But I I find it hard, especially now with our times and in this pandemic that we're going through and being in education, thinking about how my role has changed over the last three months and how it will change over the next, you know, foreseeable future. Have you seen your position change at all over the last few months when we've obviously been dealing with this pandemic? I don't think our role has has changed, Matt. You know, it's um, you know, when we're in positions of leadership, and uh, and I and I think for most of us, that's where we are. I think when you look at coaches, athletic directors, principals, superintendents throughout your career, I think you can you can say that that you've been an educational leader. It's just taken different forms, and that is the same as where we are right now. Every day that that we provide experiences for kids, first and foremost, we want that experience to be safe. We look at safety as an aspect of a participant as well as those that are in the stands. We want people to come and, and be engaged in a safe environment. And then the next thing we look at is providing the highest quality experience that we can within that safe environment. So from that context, our job hasn't changed. What's changed is the limitation of what we can do safely right now. So so with that, we continue to act in the best interest of uh, community safety and school safety for our student athletes in our communities, evaluate what is appropriate and what is right to get back to our schools and back to our fields of play. But we are all focused and optimistic that we will be back in our schools. We will be back on our fields and playing. That's excellent. And and from an athletic director standpoint, and I know Dan feels the same way, what you guys have done for us with our virtual meetings once a week on Fridays has been excellent, very informative, and helps us plan, obviously, uh, throughout our entire spring season, keeping a little bit of hope alive that we might be able to have some resemblance of a spring season. But even when that that time came when it became evident that we weren't going to be able to have a spring season, it was nice to have the direction of your leadership really paving the way for us. 
Appreciate that. And, you know, one of, one of the big questions we've gotten around that sometimes is, you know, where are we providing kids with false hope in that? And, and I really don't think so. I, I think that in discussions with our kids, because our kids were well aware of, of what the situation was. And I think they appreciated that uh, we were going to wait in as long as we possibly could, uh, knowing that those possibilities were slim but that we were going to give it every chance we could and exhaust every possibility to try to give them an experience. And it's no different than what our kids are seeking now from educational leaders in graduation, right? Uh, we continue to, to hear requests to, to the governor's office and, and to the State Department of Education for graduation and outdoor ceremonies, even though the, the executive orders right now are gatherings no larger than five. So, you know, we appreciate that, but we also appreciate that there's a lot that is unknown about this virus. Information changes on a daily basis. And so we hold on to those possibilities until it becomes absolutely necessary to cancel. Glenn, you talked a little bit about, you know, the CIAC's leadership and, and, and making sure that our kids are, are safe and healthy and that sort of being the, the number one priority, you know, you guys took some flack at the beginning when the when the decision was first made, but you know, in, in true leadership fashion, Connecticut was was one of the first people to to cancel all sports. I mean, we were the first in New England. We beat out you know professionals making that decision, and you know, looking back, obviously it was it was clearly the right decision to make. But I'm hoping that you would talk to Matt and I a little bit about some of the insights and some of the conversation that took place for the for, you know what it was like for the people at the CIAC when they made that decision to cancel the winter, the rest of the winter season? The hardest decision that, that any of us made in, um, you know, in, in 99 years of the existence of CIAC, there's, there's been very few interruptions to the sports seasons and to uh, the manner in which we conduct our tournaments, in, including through world wars. You know? so, so making the decision to, to end that what was incredibly difficult for us to do because we knew we were bringing to a conclusion some students playing careers, and, and we were doing that without the traditional end to that season or normal closure that, that kids are, are used to, and, and that was certainly going to draw an emotional response. So we, we knew that, we appreciate that, and uh, we respect that as well. We, we understand that, that kids wanted to play, but you know, as you said, uh, we weren't just the first in New England, we were the first in the country to, uh, to close. But we had conversations with uh, superintendents. We had conversations with doctors and, and medical professionals. We had conversations with our uh, school principals and athletic directors. And, you know, really the biggest difference in 24 hours from, from Monday to Tuesday. On Monday, everybody was, was you know, on the page that uh, let's see uh, how this progresses. Within 24 hours, we were starting to have school systems tell us Tuesday would be their last game. They would not be playing past that date, whether they won or lost. We had neutral site venues telling us that they were not going to be able to host us. It just wasn't uh, worth the risk of, of bringing people from outside communities into theirs if, it, if they didn't have a stake in the game. And, and then, you know, other leaders around the state, including your legislative leaders who had said, you know, the best feedback that they got was do more sooner if you can to prevent the spread. And, and for us, it, it was clear. We, we just, did, we had to do the right thing to prevent the spread. 
And so we took the emotion out of the, the equation. We made the hard decision. We stuck with that hard decision and we believe it was the right thing to do. Oh, it was definitely, it was, yeah, Dan, it was definitely the right thing to do. And uh, I mean, kudos to you. And I know you guys, like Dan said, took a lot of flack at the beginning of this, but I hope that as time has passed that people have recognized the position that you guys were in and it was, it was geared all around safety, right? It was all about safety. And you said, like you said, you have to take your, the emotion out of that, that, uh, that decision. Damn. Matt, Matt and I, you know, as athletic directors, and I'm sure athletic directors around the state would say the same, when you're making a decision, you know, it's always what's in the best interest of the kids, right? And then what more is their best interest than the, the health and safety of our student athletes, you know? And so, so, you know, that was a great job by you guys in making the right decision. Like you mentioned, you guys, you guys took the emotion out of it, but, but obviously there was a lot of emotion afterwards and you know there was there was a, a group that got together and, and went to the CIA to protest that decision and I just don't know if you could maybe talk a little bit about that and sort of what that day was like. In my experiences I, I, I think the activities that that kids engage in that draw the most passion out of them through our schools are athletics, music, and theater. When I look at the kids that engage in those programs they're so passionate about about what they do. And I mean, I think kids have passion in all the extracurriculars that they chose, but but those three tend to have the largest groups, you know, and, and that's one of the beauties about sports is we we truly do tie into passion for, for kids. And and that passion leads to connections uh, with their teammates, with their communities, with their with the adults. So again, we, we understood and anticipated that this was going to be hard for uh, for kids and, and coaches and some community members to accept. And you know, when you're when you're in positions of leadership. Sometimes it means making the, the tough decision. Believe me, we, we don't take any pride in, you know, being proven that it, kind of right in that where, you know, other people have canceled because you never take pride in canceling a kid's season. You don't take pride in ending something that they've worked so, you know, so hard for. But what we do appreciate is our kids are able to, I think, reflect back on this and still learn a great deal from the sports that they have passion in in this and, and learn lessons of adversity and, and overcoming tough challenges that, you know, those lessons of sport didn't stop just because we stopped playing. So, you know, we respect and, and appreciate everything that, that sports brings out and, and that passion that it brings out and connection to, uh, to our communities is, is one of the greatest things that high school sports offer. Absolutely. Glenn, the, the passion that the, the kids obviously show, you know, and really all like these extracurriculars, like you talked about, now it's been having to move that passion when they're in, you know, face to face, and now it's become virtual. And what I've seen a lot of athletic departments and we've done stuff over at, at Xavier regarding specifically how we're going to keep our athletes engaged. What have you think and what have you seen that has been really something special, you know, as far as engaging athletes when they're not able to be there in person? You know, just the way that the kids have um, have really gravitated toward this. I mean, and, and for us, I think for the adults, you know, going and trying to do this virtually, we were kind of learning our way. But uh, our kids are experts in the virtual world, and they're they're experts in you know communication uh, online and and through different social media outlets. So 
you know, to them, they, they had probably a head start on the, the educators and, uh, and, and people that were trying to, to adjust to this. You know, the way that, that kids have come together to put messages out, we've seen that across the state. A few have partnered with us here in, uh, at, at CIEC to do some, uh, some messages, both through Unified and through the, uh, the Class Act councils and, and groups. And, you know, those have been really the ways that, that I think kids have been able to keep in touch with each other. You know, it's a, a said it all along too that, you know, even as an administrator coming up, it's, you know, it's not that kids don't hang out anymore. It's just that they don't hang out the way us old folks used to, you know, they hang out online and they hang out virtually. So, um, you know, I think they were able to adapt to that easier, but I think what, you know, these experiences have brought out to kids is really value the, the time that, that we have together and understanding that, you know, the moments that we have, particularly in our extracurriculars and sports that mean so much to us, go by awful quick. And, uh, and you really appreciate that when, when you don't have it. So I'm really proud of everything that our schools and our students continue to do to support each other and recognize their accomplishments in non-traditional ways. Yeah, I think it's been really cool to see some of the the things that have gone out on social media and some of the stuff that, that we've done at Xavier and, and in the SEC of, of ways of keeping not only our, our kids connected to our team, but connecting with other teams. We've seen some of those, you know, those those wall ball competitions with other yeah. athletes around the state. I also got to say, Glenn, that uh, scholar athlete banquet you guys put on, which obviously in conjunction with Fox one, that was, I mean, top, top of the line. And I really enjoyed watching that. I thought it was a really nice way to uh, to get the message. And specifically, too, there's – I mean, we've been, you know, in a sense closed off from the rest of the world, or at least the rest of Connecticut. It's only been a select group, although that group's, you know, almost 2,000 people strong. But now it reached such a broader community, too. I hope that that's something you guys will look at considering doing, obviously, in a pandemic-free year <laughs> that we that hopefully are going to have really, really soon. Appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, was, uh, you know, John Holt, Joe Cookson, Matt Fisher, Aaron Garino, uh, Mary Weber, you know, our staff up here at CAC, just just an amazing job doing that. And as you said, from from a socially distant perspective, um, we're, we're very fortunate to to have the talents of John Holt working with us to be able to, to pull that off and the great partnership that we have with Fox 61 to be willing to to work with us and give us airtime for our kids. That, that was special. Primetime airtime, primetime airtime too. Dan, you want to talk a little bit about fall sports? Yeah. So, you know, uh, I was on our, our our meeting this morning and it was kind of funny looking at this question that we were sort of talking about this uh, a little bit in the meeting this morning. But if you could uh, maybe talk a little bit about what the outlook for, for fall sports is right now and, and maybe even some of the, the hurdles or the challenges that the CIAC and the member schools are going to face trying to hold fall events if we're able to. It, there's a lot for us to look at and, and I think we have to keep in perspective uh, that there's still a lot of unknowns, a lot of unknowns about, about the virus and a lot of unknowns about how it progresses and uh, when we're going to have vaccines to this, what the onset of flu season will mean. Thanks for joining us. I just wanted to step in real quick. We actually did have some technical difficulties with the interview of Glenn Lungarini, and I'm just going to quickly summarize exactly what he was talking about after he was discussing the vaccine and the onset of the flu. He was making mention of having to monitor Kawasaki disease and how it affects children or infants. But ultimately, he said that the most important factor in a return to the fall is to be making sure that we're patient 
patient with our decision or with their decision. And obviously when they get the green light from the governor's orders and the CDC, they're going to have to start taking into account other things, other COVID-19 non-related things, such as uh, student-athlete conditioning and their reacclimatization to sports. And it's all it's all tied together. And, and yes, um, that is a result from COVID-19, but it is not actually from the disease. It's from the inability to actually have athletic participation for so long. We've all been cooped up for months now. And when we do get the opportunity to come back, we want to make sure that everyone is safe and ready to do so. All right, back to Glenn. Uh, and it is critical for us to not impede the ability of our schools uh, to get back on campus and to get back working. Um, because, you know, our, our, our medical professionals, our nurses, they are the heroes uh, of dealing with the front lines of this right now. Getting our community back to normal, our educators are going to be the heroes in that because our, our parents need, um, are going to need childcare, are going to need places that kids can go, not operating schools. Um, that's going to be uh, a, a struggle for all communities. So our educators, our coaches, our ADs, they're going to be the heroes that are going to get kids safely back on campus for academic instruction and engagement in athletics. So we want to do that the right way, and we want to make sure when we come back that it, it's, it's for a prolonged period of time and, and we're not endangering anybody. So like you said, there's just there's so much unknown right now about how we're going to get back into into the classroom setting, let alone fall sports. So I know that everything is sort of up in the air right now. But, uh, you know, I do appreciate you sharing some of that that information with us. You know, you look at the, the, the front page of Hartford Current today and it's, you know, really good news. And we hope that we continuously see that that extremely good news. And as far as the, you know, infection rate and, and hospitalizations in Connecticut to hopefully give our, our athletes a chance to have some resemblance of a season. I think everyone knows that that, that is right now in jeopardy. But say, say it's, it's not exactly possible right at the beginning of the year to have a season. And we have to hold off maybe January 1. Is there a way that we can somehow still figure out a way to to have some sort of a sports season for those fall athletes, even if it's not a, during the traditional time? Yes, we we are committed to to provide kids the best experience that, that we can, whatever that is. Uh, if it's short, and again, we we need to look at all scenarios and all possibilities. That could be a normal start to the fall. That could be a late start to the fall. It could be an early end. Uh, it could be a break while we understand and get a grasp on does the flu season have an impact on this, which you know may impact the winter a little bit. When is a vaccine available? How does that change what uh, what access people can have and, and really get back to a sense of normal? Can we play without fans? Can we can we modify games to give kids experiences? Everything is on the table for for us to to discuss. And our interest is that we will play sports again. We would like to play as soon as possible. Again, we will keep the the health and safety of our athletes and our communities at the forefront of our decision making. But we will provide opportunities for our kids. If, if we can do that in short seasons, we will. If it, if it means that we only have six months to play 28 or 29 sports, then we have to figure out a way to to do that. If it's healthy and if it's safe, our kids deserve an opportunity to play. Glenn, just to expand on that a little bit and, and you know, what is there anything that, that the athletic directors can be doing right now in their in their own building to 
help push along maybe the possibility of holding traditional fall sports? You know, I, I think the best thing that our athletic directors can do and, you know, um, and, and not just athletic directors, but I think this goes to, to all of our, our staff, you know, particularly our elective teachers and, and coaches, as I've talked about, you know, we talk about investing in technology and different aspects of, of educational methods to engage kids, right? But the social emotional piece to this is going to be a very real and challenging part. And our coaches, our specialist teachers, uh, you know, our music teachers, uh, those are the people uh, that I think our kids have really strong and deep relationships with outside of their, their core classes as well. So the, the best thing that I think our, our coaches and our ADs and, and teachers can do is continue to maintain positive relationships that, that they have with our kids. We need to address the social emotional needs of our students when they return. That hasn't changed, right? If you, if you can capture uh, a student's heart and you can get into their passion, then you can teach them anything and that doesn't change. But they've been disconnected from us and, and what they traditionally know. So it's going to be even more important for us. And, and even when you come back, right, you're not going to be able to probably give the kid the high five or shake his hand or, you know, or even fist bump him, right? Incredible. Uh, so, so, but that, that connection is going to be so important for us getting back to, to a sense of normal. So the best thing that we can do while we're being patient and learning more about, about the virus and getting back safe is continue to find ways to connect and engage with kids so that they know we're here we're still part of their lives. We're still going to help them uh, succeed and achieve their, their goals and their dreams just, to, just as we've always had. And we're going to maintain that strong social emotional connection. That's, that's a great point. You know, you, you said earlier that the younger kids are, are probably used to having some of this virtual hangouts, you know, if you will, but there, there really is nothing like that face-to-face -face contact to build those relationships. So I know, you know, it is going to be a little different, like you said, but, but, I do look forward to getting back into the building and, and seeing the kids face to face and, and at least being able to have face to face conversations with them. Definitely. Yeah, I echo the same statements of Dan and, and Glenn. When it is safe to do so, I hope that you please come by Randolph Road and stop by Xavier High School. We'd love to have you in there in person. And maybe when we get back to school and we have a podcast actually in-house, we'd love to invite you back so we can talk a little bit more about exciting things with the CIAC. Appreciate the invitation. Again, I appreciate what you guys do. And I know uh, your headmaster, Mr. David Eustace, is a valuable member of the CIAC Board of Control and, and is a, a good resource, somebody I, I refer to and call often as well. So. I appreciate everything that you folks are doing at, at Xavier. Keep up the great work, and you are right, Matt. Connecticut will play again. Thank you. All right, here we are. Win, lose, or draw. Very excited for it. Guys, this is our version of Around the Horn. All right, ESPN's version of Around the Horn today for us is win, lose, or draw. And as we, we said in the introduction, um, this topic today is going to uh, deal really around – um, who's better, Michael Jordan or Tiger Woods? And obviously you're saying to yourself, well, they play two completely different sports, but we're going to you know, have a little caveat there. And I just need to be really upfront with you guys. I don't know if you had the opportunity. I know during quarantine myself and, and obviously all of our co-hosts as well had the opportunity to watch The Last Dance, Michael Jordan documentary. And it got everybody thinking about, you know, wow, this guy at his prime really did an excellent job and was super competitive and obviously really the best at what he did. But if it, if, if it came down to it, right, 
who would you choose in a specific situation? So here it is right here. If your life depended on a make, who would you give the shot? And this is the question our panel has to, has to answer. Tiger Woods making a 10-foot putt to win the tournament. Maybe we could just call it the Masters or the Travelers. That's coming up in a couple of weeks for us. Or Michael Jordan with a 25-foot jumper to win the series. And kicking us off, I don't even know if he, if he knows anything about Michael Jordan, is, <laughs> is obviously the spring chicken in the, in the group. Tanner, why don't, you, why don't you answer this question? You say you got some good information for us. Well, I, I actually just found out who Michael Jordan was on the SPN doctor, documentary. <laughs> He's not just a shoe, right? He's not just a shoe? Yeah. So I'm taking Michael Jordan, hands down. If you look at his stats, career stats from the three-point line, NBA three-point line is 23.9 feet, so we're at another foot on. He is a career 327% shooter or 32.7% shooter. <laughs> What's your major? What's again your major again in college? Math. It's not math. <laughs> yeah, that's Perfect. all we need to hear. All right, Tiger, uh, putting from ten feet, twenty-two percent in twenty nineteen, I believe. So it can't get much higher than that over his career. I'm taking Michael Jordan, hands down, best of all time. You think twenty nineteen was Tiger's best year? By the way. No, but I didn't look at any stats earlier. Than that. <laughs> You're really just going off of percentage. Just I started preparing five minutes. <laughs> all right dan i don't know where, where you live I've, I've i've heard you play a lot of golf i've never actually seen you play golf but it'd be interesting to see kind of what your thought process is with this one yeah tanner I, jordan's career is 32 percent. the average three-point shooter is at 35 percent. so he's he's well below the average when you're talking about golf right a 10-foot putt maybe doesn't sound that difficult but just to give you some statistics of my own, okay? Pro professional golfers inside of 10 feet are 88% makes. When it gets to 10 feet, it drops to 40%. Okay, you threw out a stat about Tiger in, in, in 2019, and I'll give you, as the years have gone on, I, I probably wouldn't pick Tiger to make my putt. But Tiger in his prime, in 2004, he was at 60% 10 feet. So I'm going with Tiger all day long. And I think it's got to be very clear here, all right, where Tanner was lacking was he's not a math teacher. Dan is a math <laughs> yeah, teacher. Yeah, that's right. This question was geared towards him, all right? Uh, but I also think it's, it's, it's important to note, obviously, when are we talking about these athletes? And obviously, we're talking about them at their prime. And even, even Michael Jordan, I believe you, you said, if you were to compare them versus Detroit Pistons, when they're both playing their best, he felt as though that the Bulls were obviously much better than the Pistons. I believe that's what Tanner and Dan are going to are arguing, and obviously Greg's going to get in as well. But uh, be interesting to hear what what uh, Mr. Jascott has as uh, his his little piece in there, and then we can obviously have more discussion, and then eventually crown a winner of win, lose, or draw. Well, I don't I don't have any numbers, but I, I think it's pretty simple. In my opinion, Michael Jordan is the most clutch athlete in the history of sports and I would take Michael Jordan on that pure fact alone done it in big games he's done it in finals not that Tiger hasn't I just you know I don't know I'm a, I'm a Michael Jordan believer in a situation such as that and I don't need any numbers I appreciate you guys looking up some numbers four to five minutes prior to this this uh recording but it's Michael Jordan it's easy Michael Jordan's the best to ever ever play professional sports so period 
let's just talk them no numbers, okay? Yeah. Let's talk no numbers. Jordan has a, a supporting cast. No doubt he's an unbelievable athlete, but he has guys to pick him up to make plays with him. Tiger's a guy on his own. He's got nobody to help him. He's got nobody to, to, to make the assist, right? And, and in terms of clutch, I mean, how many times has that guy, you know, his Tiger red on Sundays, right, coming from behind? He's back, he's back five shots coming into to Sunday. And you, golfers have to stop. They have to wait because they're hearing the roars of, of Tiger, and they hear that, that he's coming up. And, and here's a guy doing it, you know, entirely, entirely on his own. Yeah, that's a that's a good point, but he also doesn't have anyone to throw the ball away or to not execute the play the right way, get the ball inbounds to you know, or set the screen the right way. That is a good point, Dan. I, I can appreciate that because you are talking about a guy in the spotlight. You know, it's a lot like you know, golf, a lot like wrestling. It's it's you, you're out there, you know, you're performing, you know, in the spotlights on you at all times. Basketball, I think there's other variables that you have to look at. You know, it's a, does your, you know, can your teammates execute the play that's drawn up to win the game or to take that shot? Does the ball even get in your hands, at, you know, at the right time? You know, and at the, you have someone defending you. You know, so now you got a guy in your face as opposed to nothing blocking you from the cup. You know, can I stop us for two seconds? I yeah. think we're getting away from the whole idea of, of who would you choose to take this shot? Let's not look at all these different variables that exist here. Who would you choose? Who is more reliable in your eyes to be able to make that shot? Is it Michael Jordan or Tiger Woods? Jordan. I'm going Jordan. I'm going Jordan. I'm still staying Tiger. In his prime, in his prime, he was at 60%, right? Now, a basketball hoop is a basketball hoop, right? It's always going to be 23.9 feet, okay? I guess maybe 22 if you're on the baseline. Right, but that that ten foot putt, that changes every day, every hole, every course. But still, he's twenty percent above the average in his prime. I'm taking Tiger all day long. All right, if I might also add here, Michael Jordan obviously is a freak athlete, and you can't take anything away from him with that. The numbers are the numbers, and that's what Dan Tanner and obviously Greg. I know you, you said you didn't look at the numbers, but I have to think that that at some point you were thinking about his how likely he is to make this shot. I, I I need to add this in there as well. Tiger had a caddy. Michael had a coach. How does that play into this as well? I mean, a caddies are reading these putts for these guys. So if you take the caddy, what was it his name? Isn't that not Bones, right? Bones is Phil Mickelson's guy. No, I didn't right. research. Yeah. I didn't research that part. <laughs> but it, but what I'm trying to say is is I mean, and, and Phil Jackson, he won 11 championships. So I mean, there's got to be some some kind of hey, thanks for being my coach from Michael Jordan for, uh, to Phil Jackson here. What what does does that play? Does it play at all in there? I don't I don't think it does that I, much. Yeah, at the end of the day, I I agree with Tanner. At the end of the day, you know, maybe maybe Phil Jackson's calling to play. Or, or the caddy's giving Tiger a read, but, you know, Jordan's got to hit that shot. Tiger's got to make that putt. And the one, the one, you know, Jordan is a fantastic athlete, and either choice I think is a good choice. And, I, and I, my, one, my one drawback when I was looking at the numbers was that when Jordan played in the NBA, that was a different type of basketball than, than you see today. The defense was much tougher. There was a lot more contact. And so, you know, that could play into his numbers being a little lower than, than the average. But you know, at the end of the guy, at the end of the day, these guys are the ones that got to make that shot. I'm still sticking with you. Uh, and I agree with you 100% on that. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously, you know, like you said, Matt, there's a ton of variables you can look at, you know, on either side. Um, and I think while the coach does play a part in in the you know the whole picture, 
like Dan said, I think it's still got to be that one guy has got to either make that shot or, you know, sink that putt. But I, and again, I, I'm taking Jordan because I, I, like I said, I think he's the, I think he's the greatest athlete to, to play professional sports in my lifetime. And, and that's not to take anything away from Tiger Woods because obviously he's, uh, you know, done quite a bit for himself as well, but I'm taking Jordan. All right. It's been, it's been really difficult for me to kind of think about who can be a winner here. And especially it's tough too, when you have, you know, guys that are on kind of the same side of here, but that really doesn't play a role in my mind as far as the winner of today's win, lose, or draw. And, you know, I just, a couple things before I actually announce the winner, I have to say to myself, you know, if, if I was a part of this conversation as well, how, how would I lean? Right. And if you've ever been to a, an NBA basketball game, I've actually only been to one in my entire life. It's loose. The environment's crazy, right? People are, are hooting and hollering the entire time. I think music's playing all game long. If you ever been to a golf match, right? You got the guys who are standing there with the signs, quiet, please. They are playing in completely different arenas. And it's hard not to think about how those do play a role in any type of make for that matter. Um, for, for today's winner, all right, the first ever winner of win, lose, or draw, the argument really especially got um, solidified when he took someone else's argument and put it right on plasterboard. And that's uh, Dan DeConte. First right? ever. First ever. We got to get him a belt. When he Absolutely. took, when he took Tanner's stats and just said, you know what? Not today, my man, not today. Well, in, in my defense, like I thought Jordan was just a shoe brand before this past couple <laughs> weeks. <laughs> I can't believe that. That's a shocking one. Please tell me you're joking. I'm joking. Of, of course, course I'm joking. <laughs> Dan, congratulations. We're going to have a, a, a WWE-style belt ready for you when we uh, get back to Xavier from this coronavirus. Absolutely. Let's make sure we get a list of those winners up on that new website, too. That we'll have to, we'll have to talk about. But uh, <laughs> you've got your notoriety today, okay? Probably the episode that will get the least amount of views, the first episode. <laughs> Uh, congratulations, Dan. You did a lot of homework. I didn't. Thank you. Yeah. Well, well-deserved win. I'll get you next time. All right. Nice job. <laughs> nice job. This pandemic has caused a major disruption to our everyday lives. As you've heard from Glenn, there was a lot of conversation that took place around canceling our sports seasons. While these decisions may not have been very popular at the time, we now know that it was the right decision to make. As athletic directors, we always try to make decisions based on what is in the best interest of our student athletes. There's nothing more important to us than the health and safety of everyone we're responsible for. The CIAC and all of its member schools have many challenges and uncertain times ahead as they try to plan for what fall sports could potentially look like. While our return to the field certainly won't look like it has in past seasons, everyone is doing their best to make sure our athletes will have some type of season. As you've seen on social media, Connecticut will play again. We'd like to thank Glenn for taking time to speak with us today. Whether you're on the gridiron, in the field, on the court, or at the barn, we hope that you'll grab a seat and join us next time on In the Bleachers.